0: It is locked on jazz for the 23rd of May. Athletes and drivers, that's what we're seeing in the NBA playoffs. What does it tell us for the Utah Jazz? Mike Conley, season in review, Atlanta Hawks deep dive. It's all coming up on today's edition of locked on jazz. You are Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. This is Locked On Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Giving you insight, expertise, geeky numbers, and hopefully making it way better to be a Jazz fan Each and every day, thank you very much for making Locked On Jazz your first listen of the day. We are free and available for you on all platforms, including YouTube, where a like, thumbs up, comments, help out, and any review uh, at the most amount of stars they allow would be great. Give me one second. The door's not entirely closed here. It's early in the morning. The wife and daughter are sleeping, and I don't want to go to the doghouse, so give me one quick second. All right, that increases my chances of broadcasting from the same spot tomorrow rather than from outside, or the van for that matter. Uh, Here's what we're going to do for the next little while. Uh, We have about five weeks until free agency. We have four weeks until the draft. The Jazz don't have a draft pick, but I think they'll end up with one. I don't know how, but I just feel like they will. So what we're going to do is over the next uh, five weeks – We're going to take, that's about 25, 30 shows, and I've got some travel in there. We're going to take a look at stories of the day in the league, whatever's relevant. Player review, that'll take the next 12 shows or so, so that's about three weeks' worth. Team analysis, we'll look at teams and see whether they have players we might want. So today, we're going to talk about what's going on in the league, which to me, as I'm watching the playoffs, is drivers and athletes. And then the second one we're going to talk about is Mike Conley's season. And the third thing we're going to look at is the Atlanta Hawks and whether or not they have players uh, that we might be interested in acquiring. So that's the plan here for Locked on Jazz for the next little while. So thanks for making your first listen every day and a part of your your regular habit. If you watch the NBA right now, the game's getting pretty simple, right? There, there's a lot of talk about no bigs, a lot of talk about switchability, to me, what really is going on here is you have elite athletes on the floor, and you have every single player is able to drive. And let me hear me out on this a little bit. So the what I'm seeing is, you know, Andrew Wiggins is a great example. He was brilliant last night. He's the number one pick of the draft, but he's a pretty high level athlete. Number one pick of the draft. That's that's what he brought. You look down the Warriors roster. Wiggins elite athlete. Draymond's probably an elite athlete, though undersized. Looney might not be with all of his hips and knees problems, but good size. Clay, he's pretty special with his movement. His Curry's certain lead athlete, pool lead athlete. And then look who's like getting those side minutes. It's Moody, who is who's in, you know, a top 10 pick. Kaminga would probably be the next one. But some of the players who we've seen during the regular season, a Duncan Robinson, a Nima Bielitsa, some of these other guys who, you know, frankly, are catch and shoot or outside perimeter or aren't elite athletically or can't drive, suddenly don't play. Bullock, elite athlete. Dorian Finney-Smith, elite athlete. Brunson's probably elite athletically, though small. Doncic is otherworldly. Maxi Klee was an elite athlete. Spencer Dinwiddie seems to be... Moderately to high on the athletic scale to me. Um, you know, and also all f- other than Finney Smith, who just snuck through because he was a center at Florida, first round picks. Bertans plays, but only a little. And then you've got guys who just, you know, who don't get the time they used to get. On Boston's side, you have Tatum elite athlete. Brown an elite athlete. Marcus Smart an elite athlete. Grant Williams undersized, but I'd say pretty fabulous athletically. And then you're trying to work. Derek White's not an elite athlete at all. He works in for like 14 minutes a night, and he's a little short on time. Peyton Pritchard, um, I actually think, is an elite athlete. Um, probably just inexperienced. Robert Williams is probably an elite athlete when he's available. Over on Boston, Miami side's a little different. They're actually not playing um, elite athletes in it. You know, remarkably they they tied that series the other day. Um, But they are, PJ Tucker's not an elite athlete. Max Strauss is not an elite athlete. I don't think Kyle Lowry is anymore. Um, And, you know, Victor Oladipo was at one point. I don't know where he is on the scale anymore. So that's an, it's an interesting one to me that Miami just seems to be doing it in a different fashion. But when you look through the league and you watch the games right now, the two things you're seeing out of guys is guys that can drive, and got and and so therefore when they drive it's creating this drive and kick game and then you're watching guys that are all lead athletically so they either make plays and and or they are able to you know get by their guy or they're able to rotate defensively and play um when you look at the the beginning of the, the best dri- the best driving team in the NBA this year was the Dallas Mavericks the fourth best driving team in the NBA was the Boston Celtics the fifth best driving team in the league was the Milwaukee Bucks. The sixth best was the Utah Jazz. The seventh best was Philadelphia. Miami was ninth. Boston actually is not a very good driving team, which is interesting, and I'm trying to find out where they are. Oh, no, Boston's fourth, so who's, who am I missing? Um, Golden State. Golden State's the 13th best driving team, and they play very differently. So all of the final four teams are top 15 in drives, in, dri- in efficiency. Golden State just doesn't do it quite as much when you look at drives for 100 possessions the thunder and the hornets are number one and two in the league they're just not good at it the jazz were third and we were good at it we were one of the better drive teams in the league and we did it a lot during the regular season in the playoffs we just some of our guys weren't as capable of doing it but it's an it's to me what i'm watching in the playoffs right now that that's what i'm seeing is the teams that have the best drive games that's how you're breaking down an offense you're not doing it with or defense you're not doing it with plays you're not doing it with this you're doing right now. Miami during the playoffs has switched the, and become a, again not heavy, but they're the number two drive team in the playoffs. They're at 1.09 points per drive. Dallas is 1.09 points per drive and very very good at it. And the teams, you know, Devin Booker's not a great drive player. That might have been some of the problems for him in that playoff series. That's not really his game, um, and that might have been some of the problems for Phoenix. It also might have been where when Utah's drive game fell apart a little bit. You suddenly don't have quite as many kick out passes and threes for the jazz during the season if you look at our drive game we as i said we were really really good at it and if you rank the players in the nba the top 120 drive guys who drove the 120 the kind of most jordan pool is the sixth best in efficiency in the nba spencer dinwiddie is elite at this as well This is the big change to both the Warriors and the Mavericks that they added these guys that are great at it. Luca had the most drives of anyone in the NBA this year. Jalen Brunson was one of the top guys in the NBA in drives as well. So that opens up all sorts of possibilities. Brunson took his 16th best driver, and he took about the seventh. The number one drive guy in the league was Luca. Brunson took the ninth most. He's the 16th best. And then you added Spencer Dinwiddie, who's good at it. And suddenly they have three really dominant drive guys that changed who they are um, as a team. And that, to me, seems you know to be a, what I'm watching and what I'm seeing in the league. Now, from a jazz standpoint, during the year, Donovan's the eleventh, uh, 12th most common drive guy in the NBA. And he ranks 17th in the league at one point 07 08 points per and in the playoffs he was good he was at 1.09 he was right where he was in the regular season if you think about our playoffs the two guys that were good at this were donovan and jordan clarkson and maybe part of the reason donovan shot so badly in the playoffs is because nobody else could drive jordan's not gonna is not a big passer out jordan was elite he was outstanding in the playoffs at one point one three points per drive, but he's not passing up Donovan. So the fact that we really didn't have anybody else on our roster who can drive, get in the lane is going to kick it out to Don to get Donovan's three point shooting going might've been part of the problem. Now, Donovan's catch and shoot game is was off all year. It's still been elite over the last five years. One of the best in the league. Only Joe Harris has been better going into this season. And so you'd think he'd need those opportunities. Mike Conley was the one who really slipped. Mike Conley who took the 20th most drives in the NBA uh during the season, he wasn't really actually great at it during the re- it's not as though he slipped. So during the regular season, Mike took the 20 most drives, and of the 120 players in who um of the 120 players who took at least uh, you know, in the top 120, Mike ranks 70th in the NBA, he was in the 42nd percentile of points per drive. So he's down with, you know, some campaigns and Gabe Vincents and Corey Josephs and LaMelo Ball and Eric Bledsoe's and um, Reggie Jackson's and Davion Mitchell's. He's not in the elite crew during the regular season this year at all. And then in the playoffs, he really fell off the map. He took 70 drives in that series and averaged 0.85 points per drive he was at 0.99 during the regular season and that hurts like if he's not creating and making things out of the drive we get very very limited Royce doesn't drive the guy we actually missed is Trent Forrest he had the fifth most amount of drives on our roster this year Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich drives some Um, he drove 428 times uh, in the season to put that in kind of some perspective for you that puts him uh, in about the hundredth place of, or 84th most drives of any player in the league. So divide that by 30 is the third guy on each roster. And that was, he was the fourth on ours. Cause we drove a lot and he was decent at it. Like he was at 1.03, which is pretty good. And during the playoffs, he was down, excuse me, he was right about the same thing. Cause Boyan's just always the same thing. Um, so, you know, he really, um, we just didn't, that's not like, if you look at our roster. These two characteristics, when we talk about rebuilding the roster a little bit, I think play in. We do, We didn't have elite drivers, other than Donovan and Jordan, as Mike's got a little older, and we don't have elite athletes. Royce is not an elite athlete. Boyan's a special athlete, but I don't think he's – it's hard to say you're not an elite athlete when you're an NBA player. If you're not an elite athlete as an NBA player, you're – but I think you guys – you know, we don't have Andrew Wiggins, right? We don't have that, that Dorian Finney-Smith Um type athlete that's going on there donovan's pretty special athletically rudy's pretty special athletically after that on our roster daniel house is pretty special athletically and it jumped out probably more than it should have um so i think that's an interesting one to chew on as we look toward the rebuild of this jazz roster and what we're seeing in the playoffs and what lessons uh we can learn from that today's show is uh we'll look at mike conley's season next really a split of two seasons a fabulous regular season And then a playoffs that was a real struggle Uh, as we can start our player reviews. Uh, Today's show is brought to you by Murdoch Chevy located in Woods Cross. Also in Linden, the, excuse me, also in Logan, the Murdoch uh, have been with Utah for over 80 years, nothing higher than MSRP right now, despite the car shortage, despite the fact they can do it. Blake's just doesn't believe in it. Doesn't want to be taking advantage of people. Doesn't want to be going to the grocery store or church or somewhere and seeing people that, you know, he got an extra $5,000 for on a car because he could. People in the industry think he's nuts for this. He thinks we've been here for 80 years. We want to be here for another 80 years. This is how you build relationships. The Chevy lineup is absolutely fabulous. You know the trucks. The Colorado would be a great summer truck to be cruising around. It's a little small, grab, throw things in, go on the camp trip, whatever. The Silverado, I like to call it the lazy boy of the trucks because it's this big, beautiful, rising up above. Feeling good. I'm gonna have to talk Blake into driving another Silverado for a while. I, I love doing that. That was great in the Silverado truck with all that power. The SUV lineup is fabulous as well. The Blazer and the Trailblazer have changed the SUV lineup. The Equinox is their mid-sized SUV that's great. The Traverse is the bigger one, and then the Trax, the smaller one. Plus the Legends, the Tahoe, and the Suburban in the Chevy lineup. If you're heading over to Murdoch Chevy, feel free to give me a call. Or give me. You don't need to give me a call. You can email at dlock09 at gmail. Dot com. Today's show is also brought to you by Saqqara. One of our guys tried Saqqara for the first time. If you don't know about Saqqara, Saqqara is a, uh, it's a, the seeks wellness, joy, and abundance in all areas of life, starting with what you eat. Sakara gets you nutrient-dense meals, snacks, and supplements that nourish your body without sacrificing taste or quality. So, in other words, you're getting a wants you to live a healthy, balanced lifestyle. Truly enjoy it, delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living. The best buddy. Our locked on Nick's host picked this up the other day and they said their Tuesday meal was a, a tahini gin, uh, a, a sakara earth bowl with a tahini ginger dressing. He said tasty salad dressing, kind of similar to the dressing you get at a sushi salad, in a sushi restaurant. Um, really liked it. Wednesday was a Georgia peach parfait, a parfait with a cinnamony vic- vegan yogurt base and a sort of granola on top, slices of peach swimming in the bottom. It was really tasty. as Wednesday lunch was sweet beet and toasted cashew medley with a carrot ginger glow dressing. He said the nice salad had quinoa, beets, cashews, mushrooms, along with a spring mix. Dressing was similar to the one uh, the night before. Then he had a French lentil soup um, and his chocolate love muffin with superfood caramel for dessert. His Thursday lunch was a classic chopped salad with magic mushroom dressing. He said another salad, but this one's different, black beans, shredded rainbow, Carrots, tomatoes, the dressing was kind of the consistency of like a smooth hummus and kind of tasty like hummus, too. Again, not is it not the most filling, but certainly tasty. Uh, salad for you and you still have thursday dinner to go that's all from sakara is a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants sakara gives you the tools you need to transform your life through organic ready-to-eat meal delivery program and functions wellness essentially so go right now to sakara is offering you 20% off your first order when you go to sakara.com locked on 20 enter the code locked on 20 at checkout that's sakara S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash locked on 20 to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash locked on 20. So let's look at Mike Conley before we dig into the Atlanta Hawks in a minute or two here. And um, we'll start with points gained on all these players and just kind of see how they've progressed over the three years. So uh, Mike Conley came to Utah after all of his run in Memphis. He's been with us for three seasons. His last season in Memphis, he was a 0.4 points gained player, played 70 games. Points gained is our offensive metric. Zero would be average. Lower numbers for guards, higher numbers for centers. Um, He then, uh, in his first year with us, really struggled, was a negative 0.7, which is not great. Last year, he was, two years ago, he was fabulous. And he jumped it up to a 0.5. and this year he fell right in the middle at point 0.1. So his he's a he used his possessions, um, his twelve scoring opportunities a game that he used to use them at right about the league average. That's how points gained works. It takes the scoring opportunities you have on a given night. So in the case of Donovan, he had twenty three a night. Mike had twelve, and you allocate those to all uh, to average play the average offensive player in the league. And see what they would have done. Let's put Mike into perspective here of other guards that are kind of in the point three, uh, point guards in the point three to point uh, one range that play kind of a similar position to Mike. And Donovan Mitchell is actually a point three. Um, Matisse Thibel is a point three. You wouldn't think of them as similar. Uh, Ryan Archie for 10 games for the Knicks was. it so just. Uh, mention him because he popped up. Um, Lonzo Ball in Chicago was a point .2 um, as a point guard. Uh, other players, uh, Bryn Forbes as a shooting guard, Mike Conley. Uh, Peyton Pritchard was a point .1 in Boston. Uh, the uh, sliding below Mike a little bit in the point guard area, uh, I would find, you know, most, it's hard to find true point guards anymore. Uh, you, you you don't find actually a lot of guys right at average in the point guard position. And You slide down Brandon Knight with his little time. It's so funny to see some of the names this year of guys that like got a little bit of times. Patty Mills was a negative one this year, kind of similar age bracket as Mike, the best point guards in the league. Maybe that's a better way to give you perspective since there were so few that were around Mike, the best point guards in the league um, in points gained this year were Trey Young at 1.7, Steph at 1.5, uh, Josh Hart at 1.1, and then Io sumo sliding down a little bit, Iota sumo at 0.4, Kyle Lowry at 0.8, uh, Chris Paul at 0.4, Luca at 0.2, Mike at 0.1. So Mike's pretty good in that realm of point guards. If you think of, you know, some of the – Malcolm Brogdon was a negative 0.3, Shea Gilgis alexander was a negative 0.4, Lamelo was a negative 0.4, um, Mike Campbell was negative 0.6 as he fades out of the league. Uh, Dame was a negative 0.7 last year. De'Aaron Fox a negative 0.7. D'Angelo Russell a negative 0.7. Hard for point guards to stay above average. Um, And so Mike, actually, if you look at his regular season rankings and a bunch of metrics and all sorts of things, he ranks as about a top 35 player in the regular season. He just ends up having a tough playoffs. If you look at Mike's season, you know, he – he does show at 34 years old as he should as a point guard at 6 at a small point guard at 6 175 probably soaking wet at this point is some some signs of decline he has takes just 11 shots it's one of his lowest years ever his three point shooting was still great He's at 41% on threes, his second best three-point shooting season of his career. His two points are still good. He's slid a little bit in his free throw shooting, which is a bit strange. But if you look at his per 36 minutes, his 17.2 games or points is the fewest since 2012-13 when he was 25. His shots per game at 13.8 is the fewest he's had since that same 12-13 season. Um so it's there's you know he's now shooting over fifty percent of his shots as twos, the last two as threes, which is fine, which is good. He's become predominantly a three-point shooter, and that's the one area. If you look at his steal rate, it's actually right about the same. That's usually a sign of decline, but there isn't that doesn't exist. His offensive win shares was at four point four, about the same as last year. His defensive win shares was at two point three, about the same as last year. He played more games. Um, His win share per 48 was down a little bit, but there's just a lot of signs that he's still, you know, he was still wildly effective, but you can see the aging. Here's one I thought was interesting. Shooting fouls drawn his last year in Memphis, 158 in 70 games. And this year, 21, excuse me, 53 in 72 games. So a third of what it was three years ago. He's playing a little differently. He plays, you know, not with the ball in his hands as much. There's some areas. With the Jazz, he had 58 and 51 games two years ago, just 53 and 72 games. So just not quite drawing the fouls as much. And then you see it here when you look at his shooting where he shoots. So in he has a funky 12 game season, I try to take out, but he in his prime, when he's 28, he was taking 26, 27% of his shots at the rim. His final two years in Memphis, he's shooting 19% of his shots at the rim. His first year in Utah, he takes 13% of his shots at the rim, then 11%, and now 8% of his shots at the rim. His make level is down a tiny bit. You would actually think his make level might go up when you're suddenly only shooting 8% of his shots at the rim. His floater, which everyone likes so much, goes in 45% of the time, which is kind of suboptimal. Um he used to shoot it about 14% of the time, then it went to 16, then it went to 20. It's now up to 27% of his shots are between three and 10 feet, is that floater. So he's really no longer getting to the rim, other than 8% of the time. He's shooting 52% of his shots as threes both the last two years. So when you think of him, still very good, productive point guard, above average offensively in efficiency, as we just showed you, able to. Sh- just becoming less and less clear in the rim. And he's 34 years old at this point. And that's a natural progression. The playoffs were obviously tough on him. 33% shooting, 13 turnovers, 20% from three. He averaged nine points a game. He couldn't guard Jalen Brunson. That's that's just a really disappointing, you know, finish to what was actually a really fabulous 34-year-old season um, for Mike. And I think, you know, we have to this is what's tricky about Mike is that that his season, he was really good this year. His pick and roll efficiency is interesting too. So he was at 9.985 this year. And if you go back and look at what he was in the year prior, which was, you know, his, his all-star year. And everyone thinks and everyone has was like his best year. He was considerably better. He was at 1.09 on his pick and roll. And what was what's interesting is he was super good on small, small pick and rolls. He was good with Jordan, he was good with Royce, he was good with Boyan. Um, he had some kind of he and he, you know, he plays almost exclusively with Rudy, and he was 1.10 with Rudy. This last year, his pick and roll offense probably related to not going to the rim quite as much, and everything else slid down to 0.985. And he and Rudy went from 1.10 to 1.01. And then his small small game was still pretty good with Royce and Boyan. It never clicked with uh, Rudy Gay. That was way off with Jordan and Donovan this year. Um, so something in that, and that might be that there, he's getting switches, not quite as old or not quite as quick as he once was, not able to to maybe make that same play um, as he did before. So that's a quick overview on Mike Conley's season. We can dig much deeper into some of these guys, but I don't know you know, I don't want to bore you with 30 minutes on Mike Conley. I think that's the overview, right? Still fabulous regular season, difficult postseason. pick and roll efficiency dropping a little bit, going to the rim a little bit less, really becoming a predominantly shooter. And then in the playoffs when he goes 0 for 11 on catch and shoot threes, you end up seeing a guy that is really struggling. His off-the-bounce three was the second best in the NBA behind Desmond Payne for the season. And... Then in the playoffs, he loses the catch and shoot, and then those numbers are really bad. So he's really a three-point dependent offensive player almost at this point. Today's show is brought to you in part by betonline.net. you're looking for to get in on the fun and learn more about what's going on, your number one source for all your betting needs and sports information is betonline.net. Find all the latest odds, news, sports developments, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, Fights and even more, even next NFL futures bet online is your continued source for all your sports wagering info from live betting to playoffs to esports to more. Head to the website today use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game begins. Warriors obviously about to walk their way to the NBA finals. That there's not much of a bet on that series at this point. I would guess they've taken that off the board. Um, the Heat though are minus one ten. And the Celtics are minus 110. So they have that one at completely the um, even right now, which is kind of fun. NBA draft, the number one pick, Jabari Smith is minus 140. Chet Holmgren is plus 190. And Paulo Bancaro is plus 475. That's pretty interesting. That's all at betonline.net. Thanks for making Locked on Jazz your first listen. For your second listen, want to learn more about those NBA draft prospects. Um, the Feel free to listen to Locked on NBA Big Board, led by Rafael Barlow. It's your daily NBA draft podcast. All right, let's um, look at Atlanta Hawks quickly. We don't have quite as much time as I kind of, as had I had. Looked at on this. So if we look at the Atlanta Hawks and we'll just pull, we'll actually share the screen on the, on the YouTube version of this because uh, it makes it more interesting for you. Um, and we will have the, so we have the John on the Hawks. First question. Anytime we look at any of these teams is do they have an interest in one of our stars? Like, is there a star package to be made? It's not my ideal thing for the jazz to do. I think you hold on to both guys. Um, and see if you can build around them, but they would have some interest in Rudy Gobert. There's no question. I don't know they would have interest in Donovan Mitchell. They already have Trey Young. Seems like D'Angelo Hunter is emerging. Um, I mean, Do- you have interest in Donovan's great, but Trey Young, Donovan Mitchell backcourt would be a little funky, um, and I'm not sure it would coexist particularly well. So, Don- so Rudy at 35 million is certainly someone I think they would have interest in. And what's interesting to me is a lot of Jazz fans keep sending me Clint Capella trades. And you put this thing together with Clint Capella and I don't know what, I'm just looking at the numbers. Uh, John Collins comes out to 41 million. Rudy's at 35, You throw Rudy Gay into the mix and you probably have a deal. Um, What's interesting to me is that everybody wants to do this, like some player and Clint Capella for Rudy Gobert, not everyone, but some people, as though that's like almost similar. Like, I don't understand that deal at all and let me explain why. Clint Capella is Rudy Gobert just not nearly as good. Capella out of the 90 pick and roll bigs in the NBA ranked 61st defensively this year out of 90 pick and rolls and see Rudy ranked fourth only actually after being outdone this year by Robert Williams and two other guys who weren't in the pick and roll, nearly as much. If we if we took the filter to a thousand uh, and got the top sixty pick and roll guys instead of the top ninety, Rudy's the second best in the NBA and has been the number one. You're, they're not similar, other than the fact that they're both long and unskilled. And so, if you suddenly are adding Clint Capella, who out of the if you take the forty five bigs who guarded a thousand pick and rolls, ranks thirty third out of forty five. All you've done in my book is that you've suddenly taken exactly the same problem of what you had before, which is that you were had a big who has a hard time getting out on the floor at times who can't offensively do some things who defensively gets spread out of the middle and doesn't have an impact. And you've just made him less good, right? Like I don't, if you're trading Rudy Gobert, it better be that you're completely transforming your team into something different. Because if you're going to have a big, you might as well have the greatest big in the world. Seems really strange to me, the idea that you would want to trade Rudy Gobert for Clint Capella, bring the exact same type player in who's just like 60% of what Rudy Gobert is. Maybe. Maybe. And maybe it's financial flexibility. You're only paying 18 for that position instead of 35. You can argue that. But it's, you know, Atlanta's not an elite defensive team. I like Capella an awful lot, but, like, he's not Rudy. Other players that are interesting here, John Collins at $23 with five years on his deal. Atlanta's always felt lukewarm on John Collins. Collins is incredibly efficient. He does spread the floor a little bit for whatever reason. Atlanta has been lukewarm on him. That I think is an interesting thing to try to figure out. He has four years left on his deal at 23 million. You know, this is the kind of player that frankly, I think would really, you know, he's good. Like this is a high level player. I don't know that he's like an elite, elite athlete. Um, I'd have to dig into him a little bit more numerically and try to figure out um, Atlanta's interesting. Cause a Congo is going to be great. And, He's part of the future. De'Aaron Hunter's part of the future. Trey Young's part of the future. I think they have to love Bogdan Bogdanovich. He's been super for them. They're going to have to play, pay Kevin Herter um, at some point here. Though I think they may have already um, given him his extension, so his numbers just jump up. Not that they have to pay him; that they're going. He's going to jump up. I think he got his extension, and Trey Young's numbers are about to bu- jump up, and Hunter's numbers are about to jump up. So they there's some incentive for them to move off of a four-year John Collins contract. Now, if you kind of scan our roster, we said Donovan, no. Mike, no. I don't know that they would be interested in Boyan Bogdanovich unless that's just simply they're they're taking someone that's one year left on the deal, spreads the floor a little bit more, does that. Um, I... I Not sure, you know, if you're doing Royce O'Neill at 8.8 million, you're trying to get 23 million, you have to add 15 million in. So you're now playing around with Boyan Bogdanovich, Royce O'Neill for John Collins. I don't know that that's like making us dramatically better. Boyan Bogdanovich and Rudy Gay, because you're just throwing Rudy Gay's contract in, doesn't seem to actually solve the problem. Um, John Collins is pretty good. Um, He's a very efficient player, he does shoot the three fairly well um and he does run the pick and roll with Trey Young very well uh he is kind of a uh hybrid and it would be interesting to look at some of his defensive numbers on whether or not he can switch defensively and play that but this is a guy who averages 16 points you know traditional numbers eight rebounds and assist a little bit shoots 38% from 3 so he spreads it nicely and should be able to play sometime at center you would think like that would maybe give you the flexibility. He really, he played only 6% of his minutes at center this last year and 14 percentage of his minutes as a center um, the year before. But Collins is probably the most interesting character on this roster. Um, the Rudy Gobert is probably the most interesting one for them, for us covers up Trey Young's lack of defense, allows Trey Young to play pick and roll. Trey Young's one of the best paint to paint passers that exists. Um, I don't, you know, Rudy Gobert and John Collins and, you know, well, you know, if you're doing something of that nature, then you're Rudy Gobert, John Collins, and you'd need, uh, if we go back to that screen, I just took it off. But if you would need another 12 million of salary um, from them, DeAndre Hunter gets into it. Now I'm not sure you know, they, they, Hunter's a top 10 pick that, you know, that's interesting. You, if the jazz do that, they just got more athletic. They just added different players. They're a vastly different team um, than they were when, and you've really changed who you are as a team. I don't know if that kind of deal worked. You can just play these numbers and start piecing them together. And then you have to figure out um, what happens there. Um, But that would be probably from Atlanta's standpoint to get Rudy go, if they're trying to go get Rudy Gobert, and you're looking at it from their standpoint to get 35 million together, they're putting John Collins at twenty-three. They would probably like to do John Collins and Clint Capella. And we're suddenly on three years contracts for Capella and four years of contract for John Collins. And we're really, you know. We're that's 41 coming to us. We would probably throw in Rudy Gay in that to get it to 40. So it's John Collins, Clint Capella for Rudy Gay and Rudy Gobert is one deal. You're the Jazz are probably sitting there hunting after DeAndre Hunter, who I think could be a bona fide star in this league. Um, he's a pretty special player. It's he hasn't stayed very healthy, but it's six eight, two twenty in the former fourth pick of a draft. That's that's a special piece um to a puzzle that you would certainly like to be able to, if you could add that, that's gonna. Be of immense interest to you. He's a career 30, 40, I think 36% three-point shooter. That hopefully improves a little bit. He's he's a special talent. You go get a former fourth pick of the draft, you're 6'8, 220. You're now dealing with athletes and drivers. And we've wrapped the show up with a full circle. Thanks very much for tuning in to Locked On Jazz today. Now go make Locked On NBA Big Board your second list. We'll be back with you tomorrow. We'll do a quick scan of the Boston Celtics. They have a lot of pieces, but I don't think it's someone we'll trade. And we'll do our season review on Trent Forrest as we stay in the point guard position for the Utah Jazz. It is Locked on Jazz, your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Have a great one.